You're listening to After the Encore, the music podcast that asks what happens after the music fades, what happens after the encore. I'm your host, Joshua, and on today's episode, I was ecstatic to have Travis Shettle from Piebald on the show today. Uh, a little bit about Piebald. He's been playing music for about 30 years. He had piano lessons around six or seven, and then eventually transitioned to the guitar, classical guitar, bass guitar, then electric guitar. Um, Travis has been part of this incredible uh, alt-rock indie band, Piebald, where I know him from, and I was fortunate enough to see Piebald in 2006 as part of the Seal the Deal tour with Say Anything and Me Without You. Travis was so gracious with his time. We talked about uh, Piebald's early days, their formation, Travis's musical taste. We talk a lot about uh, the culture, the state of the world today, why Piebald's music seems to resonate with the younger generation now than even with my generation back in the day. We talk a lot about that aspect of society, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. So stick around. My conversation with Travis, can't believe I'm even saying that, but with Travis is right up after this. listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I am here. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm here with Travis Shettle himself of Piebald. Travis, how are you doing today? I am good. How are you? I am fantastic. I feel like this show uh, has been arcing. This is weird. I think it's interesting. Uh, I'm just going to dive right in uh, because I think it's interesting how when we're creating art, uh, it's very reflective of who we are as individuals. And what I've noticed in the last like past year or so of doing this show is I end up like talking to artists that were formative to me in different phases of my life. So I did kind of like early days, did some middle school, did some high school. Now we're in the college years for me with Piebald. And so I got a lot of questions. I got a lot of great stuff that I'm going to dive into. But before I start with any of that, I like to ground the conversations with one question. And so I'll ask it to you, Travis, what does music mean to you? Oh, wow. That's a big one. Um, <laughs> what does music mean to me? Well, it's it's the one thing that for me, uh, it, it doesn't have any rules or constraints or uh, it, it it's the one thing in life that doesn't, I don't know, put boundaries on me personally. You know, when I go to work, you have to focus on whatever you're working for. When I go to class, I have to focus on that. But music is like truly the free creative thing in my life. And, you know, I, I'm not an a, artist like a painter, but I would assume that that would if that was the outlet I chose, that's all well and good. But certainly music was the one that 
has uh, caused me to be a more creative person. So uh, I don't know. It's also what I think drives life's emotions too. It's like something that is you you go to it when you're happy or when you're sad to in i don't know feel more that way almost to it's a feeling uh enhancer you know so i don't know it's a lot of things and it is very special certainly i love that you talked about the almost mood enhancement quality of music Mm -hmm. because i it's so you find so often where we can we equate uh well we definitely equate music with memories that's been proven but then equating specific music with how we're feeling in the moment to allow us to process what we're feeling and and i know myself there's been times where i've wanted to allow myself to to grieve as an example or to process something profound and i music allowed me the space to process that in a way that I wasn't able to do on my own. And so coming out of that feeling better and moving forward. And then of course it has all of these different qualities I've seen. I've, I know I've referenced this before, but there's a documentary, I think it was um, music explained on Netflix that talked about how, individuals who have Alzheimer's or dementia will hear a piece of music that was so important to them and they will instantly get their memory back in that moment because they're connecting to something that's been imprinted on them. Yeah. It's so it's, it can be so visceral, Mm. like, right. You, you hear a song or, or smell a smell or, you know, but, but hearing a song I think has happened to every single human where you are immediately whisked back to either the first time you heard it or the most memorable time you heard it and it's so tangible and real and the song just took you there you know so it's it really is magic it's a magical thing plus aren't some of our best memories i know mine are from uh high school and i guess even middle school and college we're going to shows to see bands with our friends yes that is awesome you can't take that away from me and you can't take it away from anybody else. And like, even when life was maybe at a low point, you knew there was a show to go to with your buddies, right? Yes. You knew that it would, there would be one. It might not be this weekend, but it's, there is something coming up where you know, you're going to go see some live music, have a good time and be around a bunch of friends. So it, it it's even music is even, uh, a community yes as well so it it, yeah it's wild it's magical it is absolutely magical and the communal aspect is one of the things i absolutely love about music you talk about going to the shows no matter what's going on you have that memory and that sense of community and there is nothing like being packed into a concert with a bunch of other sweaty individuals like yourself and you're all screaming the lyrics at the top of your lungs back at the band and the band's screaming it back at you. I just, oh, I've got, I've got some fun stories that I'll dive into here in a little bit, but I want to, I want to wind the clock back just a little bit, Travis, and talk about some of your early formative days with music. So what was the first kind of exposure that you started having with music and the first type of instruments that you picked up and started learning on your end? Uh, I played piano to 
start off my musical career, my mom thought it would be, I wasn't really sports oriented. I played little league baseball and I wasn't very good, but uh, sports just never, I suppose, sucked me in the way music did. But my mom, piano was the first thing. I took piano lessons for, I don't know, six or seven years, I want to say. But then when you, I don't know, I guess teenage dumb hit where you really get to like choose your own musical experiences and and i picked up a bass first um and and then a guitar and that definitely is i feel like a turning point where when i picked up the guitar because i was like oh this i really like this thing right this is cool so uh but yeah i so yeah it started really with my mom i, I was in the, the church choir and in grade school i was in south side singers which was like a singing group but yeah but so my mom always pushed me into stuff like you know singing groups and piano lessons early on and was this around like six seven years of age or so or was it a little bit younger a little bit yeah older? i started piano lessons at seven okay i think it was like seven to seven to twelve or so seven something mm-hmm. like that so yeah. yeah and then i remember there was a little while of a, taking acoustic guitar lessons like classical and yeah. really like that um and I switched over to bass for a minute, and I, I do like bass. I really appreciate it, but the guitar uh, stuck with me the most. The guitar and piano. I go to those to write songs. I yeah. go to those instruments to be creative. It's what I enjoy most in the musical instrument realm. Yeah. So, yeah. I like that. I uh, so I have a I have a son that's four. That's already he's this is I, I put this in. Um, so one of the one of the a peek behind the curtain for those who are listening. One of the things that I do uh, when I record these episodes is I for myself try and put a little anecdote about my kids' lives. So when they're listening back, whenever I'm old, they can place themselves when they're listening. So yeah. that's just that's a little bit about me. But he is four right now, and he has been drawn to the piano. We have a piano in our house for my grandma. And uh, we got him these bells that he's been playing and taking like kind of self-taught some of these lessons. And he's getting to the point where he's picking up a book, a, a um, music, uh, lyric, oh my God, sheets of music, and is yeah. humming along yeah. the notes. And then is asking us what the songs are, having never played Fur Elise before, having never played some of these songs and getting it. And so I was like, all right, so we just got him uh, a little three-string guitar for Christmas um, that we're hoping that he will be drawn to because we're like, look, I don't know where he's getting this music from, but um, we love it and we want to nurture it and encourage it. So I'm I'm encouraged hearing about your early early forays into music because I think that's so, that's so I mean, maybe my son will be the next uh, lead singer of an amazing <laughs> band, right? No, I kid. But, but I think it's important to nurture that talent when you notice that and notice the skill and feed into that love of music. So when you, so coming, bring it back around to you about uh, when you started picking up the electric guitar and started, started really diving into that, was that around high school or so or a little bit earlier? Yeah, that, that was in high school. Yeah. I feel like when Piebald really got started, that's when I fully picked up the guitar and, but yeah, high school. Yep. That was the time. Right. <laughs> and so what, so around the, and this was around what uh, early '90s or so, late late '80s. Yeah, I graduated from high school in '96. Okay. Uh, so I guess I started in '92, if my memory serves me yep. correctly. Um, uh, but yeah, so early '90s. I mean, I, I, to be honest, like when grunge in 1991 hit, and, and in September, and they released uh, 
uh, Nirvana, Nevermind, the low end theory by a Tribe Called Quest. And there's yes. another album that came out on that same day. I mean, forget about it. Stuff wasn't the same after that, right. you know? Yeah. yeah. That was 13. I mean, that really, yeah. Grunge blew the lid off of stuff. And I was in the right place or the right, I feel like, right? Or possibly, maybe not necessarily for everyone, but like from like 12 to like 22 is this pivotal yes this is the music i get into this is yeah. what i like this is and, and like yeah so i just being 13 in 1990 was it was amazing that was a great decade of music that started right when i hit that awesome age so it was very special that's awesome uh, i think i got off track there a little bit no no no, no that's still that's still <laughs> that's still on track so i think where i want to go from there is so getting inspired by those musical artists that we that we just talked about right never um nirvana tribe called quest etc and the the movement of that time period really influencing your decisions as far as like your uh, musical taste how did that feed into the early days of what became piebald um well i mean i guess at that time sort of the more punk music was becoming more popular in the right. world. So like, I, I guess the, the spread of it was wider and probably hit us suburban kids uh, and struck a nerve with us. But we also were really lucky in the Merrimack Valley in Massachusetts. Uh, we grew up, I grew up in the same town in Andover with Kurt, and Jake from Converge, and they were a couple years older than us. And that they were, you know, I will sing their praises till probably the day I die musically because they absolutely were a guiding force for us in the early days where we were figuring out what we were and, and yeah. playing shows, opening for them. That I remember Kurt would take us under his wing and say, Hey, I'm starting this side project. Do you want to play bass in it? And I'd be like, yeah, of course I do. And he'd, then he'd grab Aaron and do the same thing. So we would all get kind of sucked into the Kurt awesome vortex. And he really helped to, uh, I don't know, uh, form our early musical stages. You know, yeah. he, he was definitely influential in our early recordings, excuse me, or like, so yeah, Kurt and Converge are an institution and have absolutely helped uh, form, I would say even Caven's career yeah. as well. Like the Merrimack Valley was just awesome at that time. I don't know what was in the water, but we were crushing it up there. <laughs> it was just magical. But again, I really think Kurt being the wildly uh, prolific musician that he is and having so much so much creativity that he had other projects and bringing us under his wing i was like oh man this guy is writing these wildly amazing guitar parts and i get to be in a band with him this is right. cool and it, it's it definitely helped spark our creativity as well i think it's so cool to hear about you know there's there's a lot of um a lot of groups where there's um 
individuals and, and, and different musicians that kind of move and, and form either uh, new entities, new groups, or will merge and different people will help on different projects. And, and it's, it's this whole, it goes back to that communal aspect of music where it's like, man, we just want to like get together and like, let's just lay something down and, and make something together. Right. And then this, this whole aspect of coming together and putting something new out into the world. And then eventually certain, certain things start to take shape. And so it, it's, it's just like, I don't know. I just felt this super, super great kinship of the music scene when I was I had a lot of friends in the in the Dallas Fort area in the mid to late two thousands and stuff and there was just this communal aspect of like let's go and let's jump jump on stage together or let's lay down this track together or whatever. And I think that's awesome because there's a lot of shared learnings in that, right? There's people learning oh, from yeah. each other and and learning um, and growing together, and it's it makes music this shared experience in a in a variety yep. of different ways, you know. Yeah, playing with Kurt in those early days certainly it not only helped me form, I think, a musical style, but it also. Uh, just made me a better player because yeah. he was really good. And and for he, I think he's only two years older than me, something like that. It's, at that time, it seemed huge. That age difference is huge. Now it doesn't seem right. really a <laughs> big of a deal. But then I, I, you know, he was, he was the king of the guitar. Him and right. Steve Brodsky, man, they just, it was like they were, they could multi, it was like they were making a, grilled cheese sandwich when they were playing guitar you know so they made it look so easy but it was so they're so good at it it's crazy yeah but playing with people like that does make you better right you yeah you learn from people like that they they help you become a better player especially someone like kirk kurt who wanted to take i think new heads under his wing to be creative in other ways, you know, like he really nurtured all of us. And it, it yeah. I can't, again, I can't sing his praises enough. <laughs> um, but, and especially in those early years, that early nineties time, you know, he, that was prime <laughs> figuring out your, our creativity and how it works. And uh, yeah, those guys cave in converge uh, the whole Merrimack Valley scene, the red barn. That was this place that was run by Marilyn who ran a skate shop and she was just older. So had the clout to have something like that happen um, and had a place for us to have these hardcore shows. And it yeah. was awesome. So yeah, early nineties was a really beautiful time. <laughs> it, it was good, man. It was good. As yeah, I feel like we've, we've kind of uh gone backwards in, in some ways since then i feel yeah. like the 90s was this time of uh free thinking accepting people for their differences and now we i feel like we've gone backwards in our our thinking uh, kind of and it's really weird to me <laughs> it is weird no and you bring up a good point too because i think i think there was a lot of at least i remember from from growing up during that time period as well that there was a lot there was a push right to to come and create and accept and just exist in this beautiful world and and try and contribute something and leave it 
leave the world a better place than you found it. That was that was a lot of the vibe in the mantra, and it's it feels at times that the 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 easier we get, the easier it is to connect. I mean, we're doing this episode over Zoom, right? Like we're not even we're not even in the same in the same room. So the easier it is to connect with one another, it seems to be driving us apart in different ways in the in the aspects of we're getting into our own echo chambers we're not having the opportunity to sit down break bread have a drink get to know each other put something out there we're just at odds and not as accepting in a lot of ways like you talk about yeah i can i can see that technology has made us wow has made yeah it's like sure the technology has made it easier to connect, but I think we are connecting less probably than we ever have exactly on a, on a human level, you know, which yeah. is weird because that, that, that isn't the intention of this. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not there for that. It's not, it's, it should have been, I don't know. I guess we're just, we're using it wrong. Right. <laughs> no, people are using it wrong. <laughs> How it goes, I guess. It is, man. That is how it goes. Well, as we're wrapping, as we're getting ready to wrap this first segment, I want to tee up because uh, we're going to do a lot of pieball discussion in the next in the next segment. But tee up for us, what was it like putting together those first couple of tracks, first couple of releases for Piebald, leading up into uh, when life hands you lemons? So, what was it like leading up to Ooh. when life hands you lemons? Oh, just playing a lot of hardcore shows. Uh, Brian, that was when Brian McTurnan, uh, who ran Salad Day Studios, he lived in Brighton. So I remember we heard Converge recorded there and Dive, I think. And so we were like, oh, we, we're going to go record with this guy, Brian, who now is, uh, has made records that uh, are very, what's the word I'm looking for? They're considered, it's like they an awesome early 2000s yearbook of records that that yeah. man has made anyway uh but yeah he had a studio in the basement of this hardcore house where our, <laughs> i remember they said aaron's amp was so loud that they we had to get some sort of like tone crunching <laughs> thing to turn it down a little bit i mean we, we didn't know what we were doing when we made like the geek of the week demo we just right. we're like cool we have six songs right now let's record four of them uh and then it, if you're not like putting onto a cassette or something, why'd you even record it? So we did. It wasn't our finest material, but hey, it's the it, it sparked a whole lot of creativity from us, I guess. You know, uh, you got to start somewhere. Yep. And everybody makes a demo. Yep. Or six of them, you know, yep. if you have to, whatever it takes. Exactly. We're not going to be great out of the gate. So, uh, but. Yeah, Boston was a magical place. I mean, the Middle East was a great club. Um, and that, you know, so this is after, I suppose, this is like getting into the later 90s or mid 90s, at least when we recorded for the first time um, with Brian to make that demo. And then we made uh, Sometimes Friends Fight with him as well. Um, and he had a different studio for that, I remember. But again, it was in Brighton. But yeah, and then uh, Brian, it's funny, uh, very recently we ran into Brian at the, uh, that uh the furnace fest in yeah. alabama because be well played and i was thinking man i don't i think the last time I, we saw him was at least 15 years ago which is wild but it was like not missing a beat but again i'm happy he's doing well be well killed it that day i thought they were one of the best things i saw um but <clears throat> yeah again another that's 
early to mid nineties was like, you know, uh, okay, we got four songs. So let's make a demo. And then right. it was like, okay, now we got six in this weird acoustic thing that I've done at a high school thing. Okay. Let's go record with Brian again. And, you know, I guess you just keep thinking that you're, you're kind of growing a little bit as a musician. Right. Songs are a little bit better, more well-constructed, uh, you know, uh, more intricate or whatever, but yeah it's just growing as musicians was definitely the 90s and then a lot of touring in the late 90s and into the early 2000s so but yeah i bet that's going to be in the next section yeah. that's right that's right well you're listening to after the encore i'm your host joe shaw i'll be right back after this what's up everyone my name is dana b i tour managed the band piebald i also have a podcast it's called two week notice so if you're a fan of Chris Caraba and Dashboard Confessional, Taking Back Sunday, Thursday, Piebald, Less Than Jake, Boy Sets Fire, Minus the Bear, Poison the Well, Ozma, The Get Up Kids, Emery, Bayside, Senses Fail, Comeback Kid, Unearth, The Bled, Beloved, Four Years Strong, Funeral for a Friend, and many, many other bands, then you definitely want to tune in to my podcast, Two Week Notice. I've interviewed people from all these bands and more. Once again, that's called Two Week Notice. It's the one with the peace sign. Hey, what's going on? This is Joe. If you are enjoying this episode of After the Encore featuring Travis Shettle of Piebald and you want to go support the band, here's another way you can do that. They are playing a series of shows next month in December in the Northeast for you to be the king of the road and go grab the tickets and go rock out at the show with your friends, with your family, with whoever are piebald friends, and maybe make some new friends. So let me run down those dates for you. December 14th, Hamden, Connecticut. December 15th, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. December 16th, Northampton, Massachusetts. December 17th, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. December 19th, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. December 20th, Brooklyn, New York. December 21st, Boston, Massachusetts. If you want to buy those tickets and get more information, you can do so by going to piebald.com. Once again, that's piebald.com for your tickets at the happiest time of the year. Because it may be a long night, but it could be a fun night at a piebald show. All right, let's get back to it. You gotta go to your apartment so you can step outside and see the sights. Dad, that looks like donut if you look at it right. You just might sleep yourself to death. Yeah. Guts will spill onto your bed. Yeah. yeah. I've got a Welcome back to the After the Encore, and hey, you're part of it. No, let's see. I, I, gotta, I always have to try and get one you of those. You had to do that, I had, you? You I had, had to, to do it. I had to do it because I'm nobody's monkey. Nice. <laughs> well, bring it around. Right. No, I, I, but to that point, I am back with Travis from Piebald. We're going to be talking a lot about Piebald, and I, I want to kick off this segment um, uh, by, by explaining my introduction to Piebald. So it was, uh, it was a cold winter's evening in, in 2006. It was really fall. It was actually almost exactly ooh, however many years ago um, when I, uh, a lonely freshman in college, uh, 
saw that my favorite band, Say Anything, was coming into town with a couple of guys called Me Without You and Piebald. And they were coming with the Seal the Deal tour. And so my roommate in college, Tyler Watson, shout out to Tyler, he... I told him, I'm like, hey, I'm driving down on like a Tuesday or a Wednesday. It was middle of the week. And I remember this because we did it down and back. I was in Brownwood, Texas. It was a three, four-hour drive because we were going to Dallas. And we had to be back for 8 a.m. algebra. I, I distinctly remember that memory. <laughs> but we made it. And we drove down. I said, hey, I need somebody to go with me to make sure you know I can do the down and back. Do you want to come with? And he said, I don't really know Say Anything. I don't really know Me Without You. And he asked me, who else is on the, who else is on the show? Who else is on the bill? And I said, um, Piebald? He went, Piebald? Fuck yeah, Piebald. Let's do it. And I was like, what? who is this group? And he said, and he, what just happened? <laughs> he proceeded to give me a rundown of how incredible this group Piebald was. And we listened to the entire We Are the Only Friends That You Have record twice on the way down with him interjecting his own commentary of the album. And by the time we got there, I was part of it and I was stoked. So I've been, a, I was converted that day to the, the, the ways of Piebald and I've been a fan ever since. So with that, I want to start with actually that tour and maybe like work a few ways both backwards and frontwards but what was it like being a part of that tour with the group me without you and say anything what was that like for piebald oh i mean that was great that was a really fun tour uh we are <clears throat> we toured with me without you a few times and those guys are very good friends of ours at this point you know when they if they come to new orleans where i live uh I have seen them now twice since I've lived here and every I've Ricky in particular, I feel particularly close to, uh, but I, I love all those guys. <clears throat> um, but that was a great tour. And I remember saying anything was like on fire Dude. then, you know, like they were, they were very popular and they were playing with a passion that, you know, they, they, they were hitting on all cylinders, so to yeah. speak. Um, that was a very fun tour. I do remember it. I think that actually was when Andy was in chef school and Jim was playing bass, filling in for Andy and, and Piebald. But I do remember that being a, a very fun tour. Yep. So what was it like after we talked about some of the early days putting together a couple of, like the demos and the records and 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 being there and and in Massachusetts and working on those records what was it like getting to the point where you put together we are the only friends that we have and and the sort of momentum behind that record Oh I don't it's it's funny it was I feel like looking back on it we just had 14 songs that we thought were pretty good, but I, I do realize that friends is like this awesome slice of a record that we made. I realized that it's more special somehow than the other albums we made. It was like, that's when we were hitting on all cylinders. Right. We were like, and we weren't even thinking we weren't trying at all. Unfortunately, after that, we tried I think too hard and it's sort of backfired on us, hmm. but friends was this perfect time of just songs that were just, I mean, mostly coming out of me and then have the editorial help of the other guys to be like, Hey, let's play that two times longer and change this, you know, right. or like, but I'd be like, here's the three parts I got. What do we want to do with it? And, and, you know, between, I think me bringing songs that were 
<laughs> strangely good to the table and then those guys really helping to edit them i feel like there was just it was just a magical time uh and and friends was uh yeah i remember us finishing that record and we started a tour that day we left q division and we left for a tour and we were on tour we played 300 shows wow that next year yeah it was, it was a wild time but yeah friends was really again I, I i appreciate that so much because we didn't we still didn't really know what we were doing we were just making another album but it was <laughs> right a little more special than we even knew you know yeah and we're lucky <laughs> to have made it yeah so. i know from from me you know we talked about earlier we talked about how you remember going to like even when times are tough like the feeling of going to a concert the feeling of going to a show the communal aspect the memory of music all of these these components into into how we as individuals connect with this art form for me like so yes i was su like a uh, super impressionable college kid right um struck striking out on my own and i was i was a theater major so like art artisticness was running through my blood but there was something about the like i don't know how to describe it and i'm gonna do my best but this like this almost like raw emotional aspect of the album where i just feel like i i just feel like i am in a team that's like cheering me on and i'm cheering them on and we're just like all like yelling and and like and chanting together and trying to contribute to something larger than ourselves and so it makes it like it, it it's almost like a like a like a battle cry for life in a lot of ways it's just like it's the ups it's the downs it's the long nights right and it's yeah. about trying to understand this thing called life together and pushing through it uh, and and coming out the other side um, a little bit battle tested, but a little bit ready for the next journey. So that was my um, impression of the album. I mean, if anything, I have been a part of making make somebody feel like that. I I win, right? Mm -hmm. That is that's magic right there. But it is really interesting because you're as a musician you, i think you're just making the record that you want to make at that time right. you can't really you can get other people's input of making demos and sending them to them but then it's funny how <clears throat> what really makes it is people's reaction and interaction with it yes even though you weren't really making it with them in mind you're yeah. making it for you right but <laughs> it's it, in the end the the fan or the you know the person who's singing every lyric to friends when we play songs from it they're actually making it the album you know right. like they're making it more special <laughs> they're giving it the weight that it has i don't know it's cool yeah it's weird it's a personal thing that becomes a communal thing yeah i uh i, I was really drawn and i know a lot of others uh as well we're drawn to that type of feeling in records so like you had that in um in uh same thing is a real boy right and, and then in friends yeah. for piebald and so i think that's why i gravitated to it so much but it i felt like it was really emblematic of the kind of alt 
music scene of that period of time of this just a little bit of a counterculture a little bit of a battle cry a little bit of trying to find our way forward as individuals which really seemed to resonate i know with 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 the generation and so what i'm interested in now i'm going somewhere with this is having having that impression on folks at that period of time fast forward to we've got we're maybe in a different spot than we were in when we made the record or listened to the record. And so now how can we continue to grow and mature and, and reconcile that feeling of almost counterculture with the, the day to day here in November, 2021, how, how has it been for you? <laughs> oh man. That's, uh, all right, so what I'm trying to answer there, I think, <laughs> is how has Piebald grown in, and how does it feel in the past couple of years? Yes, that is it, correct. Compared to earlier times, well, I got to say, I, I didn't anticipate that we would be more, more popular now, mm -hmm. I think, than we ever have been. And it seems as though... And, uh, I, I wasn't anticipating this either, that it's almost more relevant. Some of the songs that we made that yeah. seemed uh, at the time to be speaking about things that were happening or a current personal situation, somehow now those the lyrics and the songs almost feel like they've, they've matured well and still resonate and and i i am shocked by that because <laughs> yeah. again we were just doing it for fun as an outlet as a creative outlet and it's amazing that it's grown like this and we can yeah. still play shows and people come and they are psyched and it is fun and you can't really ask for more than that so yeah it's been a, since we started playing shows again in 2016 i think it was it's been great it, the the reception has been amazing people are psyched uh and it's been a lot of fun yeah i missed y'all when y'all came through the house of blues not that long ago um, yeah that was a good one yeah that was that's the dashboard yes for, yes yeah right uh i was bummed that i was out of town and i was like all right well next time and then pandemic hit and here we are but still next time getting it taken care of um but moving on from friends and then maybe even a peek back um, as you were making uh, some of the album. I'm looking if it weren't for Venetian blinds, it would be curtains for us all. What was it like um, kind of in the lead up to friends? So we talked about friends was the album that you were making at the time. It was the album that you just wanted to make. It was the songs you felt were good. But as you were growing and learning from your previous releases prior to friends, what was the creative process like for Piebald? Well, that would have been <clears throat> the Venetian blinds kind of rock revolution era. Mm -hmm. I, we were living in all together in a house in Alston. And that's actually when Kurt was living there as well. And he had a studio in the basement. So I remember we would <clears throat> practice once or twice a week, I want to say. And we were writing, uh, I feel like at that time, songs like Grace Kelly and uh location is everything and karma and i remember recording half of that record with kurt in the basement just to make demos and the songwriting process was still mostly mostly me bringing 
like, hey, I got these three riffs that go together. What else would this need? And that's, again, where the other guys come in and they're like, I think it needs this type of part or it needs this thing. Or why don't we play that two times longer or play this less long because it's too long. Right. But uh, yeah, we would just <clears throat> kick around ideas, play songs different ways, play, edit them. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, we were certainly getting... I feel like Venetian Blinds is a more uh, structured and mature record than Lemons. Right. Um, but we were just growing in our songwriting, I think. And I feel like I listen to that record now, Venetian Blinds, and I'm like, wow, everything is so fast. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. But uh, <clears throat> we're like smashing through it. You know? <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> but yeah, uh, I've, I guess I, I remember a very, we, I guess we were all in school too at that time. So, yeah. we were, you know, I was at UMass um, and, and uh, I think Aaron was in automotive school. And at that time too, Luke was still in fast break and was, hasn't joined piebald yet. Uh, John was our drummer and he was going to BC at the time. Um, so yeah, we were all college kids and, you know, working part-time crappy jobs. I worked right. a big burrito and, uh, <laughs> and we would just play music cause it was fun. And, and at that point too, like we could always get a show. There would be a band coming to town. We could open for them. Right. We could get a show on our own. We were not wildly successful, but big enough that people in Boston knew who we were. Yeah. Not everybody, but a lot of people. Yeah. And then as you're, as you were starting to evolve your own, well, and the group's own music, uh, songwriting capabilities as it came to friends and then beyond friends, did you find, what was your process like for a lot of these, uh, songs that you were writing? Was it, did you get inspired? Like, what did you get inspiration from? Did you partner with anybody else? What was that like for you? Uh, I did not partner with anybody else aside from the guys at Pieball. Uh, my inspirations, I think at that time came from riding my bike and, uh, college cause UMass, I took a lot of, uh, more left thinking classes, sure. like black studies classes. And I took the sixties and, you know, s social movements. Mm -hmm. And that was what I was drawn to, but that often made, uh, I would be like, I can't believe I'm reading the story and have never heard that. I've got to write something about this or touch upon it or sprinkle it in somehow. So I think, right. and riding my bike was, and still is something that I just love doing where you, it's your own time yeah. and it's your own pace and you get to see things a little more clearly than you do in a car. Yep. And, uh, I don't know. Riding a bike is a, another magical thing of life that I find very, uh, I appreciate. And it, I think it helps creativity. It'll, it allows one to, to experience the world, as you said, in a very different way than if you're inside of a car, because you're outside with nature and you're yeah. taking it in and you're taking it in your surroundings. I, I think that's beautiful. That's wonderful. I want to know, we were since we were talking about cars um what let's let's for a second talk about what was it uh did i hear correctly that you convert that the guys converted uh the bus and it was no it was using vegetable oil am i getting that correctly yes we had two buses that ran on vegetable oil um aaron and our friend mike parziel were involved in something called grease not gas and uh 
that was like uh, mid 2000s. Okay. Uh, but they were doing vegetable oil conversions. And basically what you do is you, and it doesn't work as well on newer vehicles because they're so uh, mechanized and computerized mm. now. And before, you know, we our van was probably from the 90s and yeah. there's less of that. Um, and you would basically, though, put an, another tank that was welded and put in the back of your vehicle. And it had lines that went up and there's a solenoid switch on your dash. And so when you, you start and you end your driving on diesel, but once the car's warmed up, you flip the switch and you're running from the vegetable oil that's been heated up and is now viscous enough to fuel your engine. Oh, wow. So it was amazing. Yeah, we would go behind sushi places and just bucket brigade and pour it in and you pour it through sock filters in this big metal tank that was in the back of our van. And it was great. And then I think at the first van, we had a trailer. So we would put extra buckets of grease in the back of the trailer. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the second van was more like an airport shuttle and that van was, I think, kind of cursed, but that's neither here nor there. But we had the tank in the back where our gear went as well. Yeah, that was amazing. Not paying for gas or paying way less. You still had to yeah. have gas because you got to start it and end it and on end that. It, but, right. but people at restaurants, you know, you'd go in and eat there and be like, hey, can we take your grease too? And they'd be like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. You know, we don't <laughs> understand. But then when they'd see it, they would all, all, always be kind of impressed too that that's what we're doing especially for you know a bunch of mutant rock dudes who are right. like yeah man we're just want some some of your oil right thank you so yeah i think that's awesome from from just like an environmental standpoint right and then the other aspect yeah. and recycling reusing something yep. and then but for also from like a cost cutting perspective it was great right like i mean you're Y'all are a band and you're trying to tour around the United States doing all of these shows, like over 300 in that one year that you're talking about and not having to pay for as much of gas as you would normally, like a significant fraction of that cost. Like, yeah, that's huge. Yeah, it was a great, it was a, a wonderful thing, especially for a band that's like, we're not you two, obviously, right. very clearly, we that's not our our financial situation as a band, we still have our own jobs and stuff that we have to do in regular life, but we're also not the, a band who's just starting and nobody has ever heard of period. Right. So to be in this, we're making okay money. It's great, but saving so much money on gas was very helpful in that, you know, in that time. And I think that was actually the tour with me without you and say anything was one of the tours where we were, doing a veggie oil bus because me without you was as well oh nice yeah so we would often i remember if they would break down we would uh, go try to help them out or you know but the they had a similar thing and i remember both of us being vegetable oil buddies on that tour so that's awesome i uh, had a yeah. Communications professor in college that had a big sticker on the back of his car that said, This car powered by vegetable oil, ask me how. And I never asked him how. And now I finally got the answer all yep. these years later. <laughs> yep. And maybe he didn't have the same system, but I am surprised. I mean, the diesel engine was originally invented running on peanut oil. Wow. Uh, so that is the history of it. 
uh, it just didn't pan out like that because we love fossil fuels yeah. for some reason. Jeez. It's unfortunate, yep. but it's true. Yep. Uh, again, I think it all falls under capitalism and the problems there. But Dude, hey, yeah. there we are. We don't need, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> right. We don't need to go into it. You've been listening to Perspectives with Piebald. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't, don't get me started. I want to, as we're starting to wind down this segment, um, there was a couple of other albums that you re- that Piebald released after Friends, right? So you've got All yeah. Ears, All Eyes, All the Time, uh, Killer Bros yeah. and Killer Bees, Accidental Gentlemen. So with those subsequent releases leading up to the quote-unquote um, – ending of piebald right and we'll get into the 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 afterlife of piebald if we will in the next segment um but what was it like going from friends having those additional releases and then coming to the conclusion to hey i think we're i think we as piebald are done for now um walk me through that perspective it was not easy to get to that place um but that was a struggling time for us. I feel like we're in a much better position now, just as friends, as band members. Um, I think that was just a time where I felt like we all had other things that took much more precedence than the, than the band was getting from people, which is totally fine. And, And it's life. It's part of growing up and, existing uh but it made getting stuff done a lot harder yeah and we hit a part a point where it was just really difficult for all of us to say yeah let's get together for this especially because after we put out all years all eyes all the time the interest in our band absolutely you know kind of went downhill and it it was sort of emo was ending you know and it was sort of the end of an era of that type of thing. And we absolutely, I think, fell victim to that, for lack of better words. Right. Um, and we just didn't, I guess, put out the record that people expected from us either, which is also fine. I cannot control how someone feels about something I create. Right. Uh, I yeah. hope they like it, but you never know. Right. Um, uh, but yeah, it was really hard uh, to call it but i do remember that we were on tour with say anything and we knew you know that 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 was the end at that time and again like i said now i feel like we're in a much better position where we understand that piebald has a awesomely significant role in our lives but that we also have other stuff that we each individually do and have lives outside of piebald whereas before I think before we broke up, then Piebald was my life. That was it. That was what I did. That was what I woke up to do. Even if I was doing other stuff, that was the focus. Yeah. And now I'm realizing, I think, as I get older that, no, it's just one thing that has been a beautiful part of your, the wider swath that is Travis and that is Luke and that is Andrew and that is Aaron. And and now we're all, I think I have this better balance of, oh yeah, we've, we love Piebald and it's a wonderful part of our lives, but obviously we cannot do it like we did in 2002. It's just not going to happen like that. Right. I think that is a significant part of life where we have something that has been a defining moment for us for a certain period of time. And then 
deciding this is the the end of this chapter, this version of it, and then getting to a state where you recognize, oh, this is a beautiful part, and perhaps there's a way that it can still be part yeah. of me. That one was not intentional. Um, can be part of me where um, where then we are also growing and then continuing to recognize all that life offers us as individuals and all that we can offer back to to others as well. So on that note, you've been listening to After the Encore. I'll be right back after this. Long nights, hard times, everything that makes you feel tired. Listening to After the Encore, I'm your host Joe Shaw, and I am here with Travis Shettle of Piebald. And now, um, Piebald's done. Uh, that's it, right? Like, there's no more Piebald. Piebald broke up. It was done. Called it quits. Mm-hmm. We've moved on. I'm just talking with uh, my good friend Travis in New Orleans, and we're just talking about um, veggie oil, and we're talking about capitalism, and that. No, there was there was an additional uh, uh, afterlife or epilogue uh, postscript on Piebald, if you will. So. Walk me through what your specific life was like when Piebald ended up until y'all started playing shows again in 2016. That's a wide band That's of time. That's like a 10-year, ten, ten almost a 10-year period. Right. Yeah, I guess. Okay, so I was, I was living in Los Angeles, and I was working at a bar called Mandrake. And uh, I had two very good friends who I formed a band with in L.A. called The Past Haunts, uh, Ben and Heather. Uh, Haywood, who I love very dearly, uh, they still live there. <clears throat> uh, still very good friends. Actually, Ben runs Chain Letter Collective, who uh, manages Piebald's uh, digital music stuff. So we're still friendship is still going. Uh, but yeah, I guess I was playing music with them a lot, and that that was kind of my focus band at that time. But yeah, I, I would just be. <clears throat> Working at the bar, playing music, hanging out in LA. I think Highball reformed to play Bamboozle yes. in 2011. And right. we did an East Coast and a West Coast. Uh, and then we went to Europe, I want to say, in 2012. And we played like a week of shows. But then after that, it was 
again a hiatus until 2016 when we re-released the digital catalog and that i think is what sparked us being like well let's play some shows again we're all we you know it's we were lucky enough as a band that our breakup wasn't because we hate each other or someone doesn't like each other it's just because at that time we had outgrown it and it was not a, a focal point for most of us anymore and that again that's okay i get that that happens but uh i suppose interspersed in this the time of really calling it quits to reawakening the 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 bald uh yeah we played a few times and then i guess we were all just thinking about it and it seemed like re-releasing our music digitally was the right time to play shows again and then they were so fun that we have been doing it every year since at least a little yeah um so and even uh let's see i want to say may i in may i flew up to mass and we even recorded some songs and some new songs so we and it's been a long time except for those three christmas songs that came out two years ago right two years ago two years uh, ago yeah before yeah. covid yes we wrote the christmas song of covid before covid because <laughs> we just wanted to rage with our friends right and we couldn't do it last year Anyway, uh, but yeah, so we wrote some new songs and recorded those. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, so that's been the uh, the most recent piebald stuff is we played Furnace Fest. We played a show with Thursday. That was great. Played a show with Newfound Glory. Um, and those both bands, we hadn't seen those guys in probably 15 years. And it was awesome. I am so happy and proud of their success. Um, Furnace Fest was a blast. Um, recording the new songs with the guys in uh, New England was awesome. I think our plan is to, we recorded seven songs. I think the the plan now is to, you know, get together again and do another batch of seven. And then what we hope to do is have a whole lot of songs and make an album in the next few years. But again, it's hard for us to schedule this timing because yeah. kids, life, uh, work, school for me all these things are taking up a lot of our time so we squeeze it in when we can yeah these days i think so first of all like that's huge new piebald music to come in in the future so we hope so yeah it's not official yet and it's not recorded yet but we have made we have written new songs yeah and they are documented but now it's a now it's a we need more of them right now so well, definitely putting continued to put uh, good vibes out in the universe so that way this comes to fruition because that is incredible. I, it's interesting you brought up like you you mentioned newfound glory and that 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 registered something in my mind that I'm I'm finding with piebald newfound glory um, a lot of these other groups dashboard right and then groups that I grew up on and and are such a formed apart are are kind of coming back around i'm hearing i'm hearing younger yeah i'm about to like do the kids these days thing i did the air quotes but the kids these days are talking about these in these groups and entities as if they're discovering them for the first time and perhaps they are discovering them for the first time and i'm like these these guys are legends so it's interesting to me what is resonating and i don't have an answer i'm curious what resonates with the younger generation in a way that resonated with me as well yeah, I, I don't I don't know that I have an answer to that one, but it is real. Yeah. What you're talking about is real. There's another generation now that 
is okay so for example at the newfound glory show there were absolutely people who were in their late 30s who probably saw newfound glory 20 years ago and who were there again there were also people with their kids who probably went to see newfound glory 20 years ago and now have children who they have played newfound glory for and want to go to their concert you know like there's a new generation or the other example i always think of is the older brother or sister who introduces something to the younger brother or sister, because right. those are the, those are the moments, right. you know, like that's when you're like, that's like the Holy grail. You're like, Oh, oh right. you know, <laughs> like, Oh my God, they're showing me something. Oh. But uh, yeah. And, and again, there is now two generations, at least sloppy generations uh, of fans of, bands like Thursday and bands yeah. like dashboard and bands like newfound glory. So yeah, I, I was wonderfully shocked by how people still care so much about them. You know, it's great. I think, you know, I was, as we're talking about it, I'm going to, I'm going to theorize a little bit and, and, and put forth the hypothesis. I think it's, I think it's a little twofold. One thing that I've noticed is there is, is there is music, and perhaps these musicians have been inspired by Piebald, Newfound Glory, Dashboard. Um, so a group that I discovered a couple of years ago, uh, Neck Deep, uh, has that like kind of pop punk-ish sound that I heard a lot of Newfound Glory, Bowling for Soup, Good Charlotte, kind of, kind mm-hmm. of crafting that sound. So I think in one vein, folks are starting to hear it in a brand new way with, a brand, new, with brand new groups. But I think in the other, the other aspect of that, is that the lyrics and the 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 energy of the song is resonating in in a way like with Gen Z. So Gen Z is the most diverse uh, representation that we've had so far, both from just racially, from economically, from uh, viewpoints, also from LGBTQ plus perspective, right? It is the most um, outwardly and inwardly diverse generation that we've had. And it is also a combination of, of Gen X and millennials kind of, working to to push past the grain and now gen z is saying hey we can up in the apple cart there's a better way to do things we don't have mm-hmm. to do it this way we are going to say we deserve better and we're going to design something better as well and so thinking about the lyrics of american heart right like from all i've seen and all i've heard this place is broken my american heart like that type of stuff uh resonates i think with the the younger generation in a, in a completely different way, or perhaps maybe not completely different, but in a, in a more profound way than it resonated yeah. with me. And so I think that's bringing it all back around to how we're, we're more, uh, not, we're more divisive now than we we've previously been because of the fact that we're siloing ourselves off in a lot of these ways. I think a, a song like American heart, by Piebald can be a bit of an anthem where the younger generation can take it and then use it as a rallying cry to make a better generation and a better framework for the world. So all that to say, the kids are going to save us uh, is what I'm going to say. <laughs> well, they actually have to yeah, because there's not much, there's not much choice because the older generation is certainly not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they are the hope. So, I'm, uh, we need them to step up. 
right. Let's do this. Right, right. Um, but I, but I, I love that the the popularity in in Piebald and the the relevancy of a lot of these groups because there's so much goodness there. I want to know. You mentioned that you're uh, in school right now. What uh, what are you currently studying? What are you working towards? Uh, I am studying social work. Uh, I am getting a master's. Well. If I complete it, I'm working on a master's. I'm only in my first semester and I haven't been to school in 20 years. So it's been a while. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, uh, Southern University, I just started in August, um, but it, it's it's pretty intense. I'm only going part time because I got to work, obviously, and I enjoy my life on the outside of going to school and things like that. So, um, but yeah, it's been good. I, I like the things I'm learning so far, yeah. but again, it is, it is intense. I guess that's the best word. It's been, right. I, I, I'm just not used to school yet. Sure. I'm working on it. I'm right. working, I'm working into it, but it's a slow start. Right. And we had a hurricane. <laughs> the hurricane also put a damper on things that right. like took a month off right as we were starting. So it kind of like had a jumpy start, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's been good. And so far I've been enjoying it even though it's a little stressful. <laughs> right. I like it. What has, so we've done a lot of discussion about piebald. We've done a lot of discussion about kind of the world at large. What has been um, something that you personally have learned and has resonated with you throughout your journey as a musician and then now studying, uh, working on a master's in social work? What has been something that you've seen or learned that has really resonated with you over the years? Oh, um, wow. I, I, like anything. Um, <laughs> it's so broad. Perhaps uh, maybe a better way to say this is what is maybe a, a life lesson or a mantra that you've learned that you've utilized as you've continued on the journey of life? Okay. Um, I try to think in my interactions, especially at the bar where I work um, or, or just a day-to-day -day interaction with a, a stranger uh, that I have no idea what is going on in their life. Mm. And I have to address that person knowing that I don't know anything that's going on in their life and i should probably be respectful of that i don't know what they've been dealing with that day right. i don't know what they've been dealing with that week i don't know you know and, and i think respecting that and knowing that every person is an individual and that you don't know what they've been through yeah on that moment is is uh the best way to meet to, I don't know, uh, meet people or, yeah. uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, beginning, begin your conversations with right. people. Yeah. Like I, Cause you know, I've found a lot of people you, you, you just think, Oh, what a jerk or what a this or what a that, or you just right. write them off immediately. But like, again, we don't know what that person's day has been like. We don't know what their week has been like, you know, maybe possibly, they're very good friend just passed or yeah. these other things. And you never know, <laughs> you never know this about people. So yeah. yeah, I think 
you know, I guess that just has to do with not don't prejudge anything. Yeah. You know, respect, respect people and uh, deal with them respectfully because you never know. You never know what they've been through and what what they may need in a moment. And for you to put your own judgment on it is just going to ruin that. So it's hard to do all the time because sometimes you still in your head want to say, you know, what a jerk that guy was or whatever. But we don't know what they've been through. Yeah. No, that's very, that's solid advice because it is so easy for us to put our, our assumptions and to judge others based on what we perceive those individuals to be, um, as opposed to just allowing us to have almost like a blank slate and, and just enter into a conversation just as is, and then take what they give us and then respond back to it in kind. Um, it's, it's, easy to say, very hard to put into practice. And I think uh, what one finds when one sees and travels the world and, and this country and others is that there's, there's a big wide world that does not revolve around us as, as individuals. And we have to understand our place in it and our role. And, And I always say my job at the end of the day is to try and leave the world just a little bit better than I found it. And if we all did that, then we wouldn't have half the issues that we have today. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're probably right. But yeah, it's, you know, just the, the day-to-day uh, interactions with people uh, make, make and break the day for people, yeah, right. you know, like it, it, it's, it's real. And, and everyone just, I think at the end of the day wants to be respected and be happy. Right. Yes. And, and uh, sometimes it's hard to feel respected and happy. <laughs> yes. So the, it's, it's a human conundrum that we all must go through, I suppose, and have differing levels of dealing with it or, or how we interpret it, too. Right. So Exactly. But, I like it. Well, as we're ra- as we're starting to wind down this incredible, incredible episode, we've talked so much about so many great topics. Piebald being one of them, and and then one of my favorite topics is about how can we make uh, a better world? How can we work to try and make a more inclusive world, if you will? Um, I wanna I wanna bring it back home to music, and I wanna ask if someone is listening. And they want to get perhaps their kids started in music, um, like uh, my kiddo, or or they themselves perhaps are looking to get into music. What are some pieces of advice you would give maybe the parent or the caregiver for the child, and then for the individual who's looking to get started themselves? Oh, uh, for the parent, I feel like I would say let the let the child choose the instrument mm. right because they have to be interested they have to want to do it you know it's you everybody knows you force a kid or anybody to do something and they don't like it right and you want them to like it yep. so you know i think it's listen to your kid too you know it's what 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 do they want to play what instrument do they want to play what kind of music do they want to play it's, I think figure that out. And to, and to kids, I'd say you're going to suck at first. It's okay though. Cause you will get better. I promise at anything. It's like anything you're going to get better. 
Right. I, I promise. And I can tell you that from experience. Like it's a reality. You will not be great when you first start, but it will get better. Right. So keep going. <laughs> that is so key um, because I think it is easy to try and, and, and to, to have a heavy hand in some of these, some of these things from a parenting perspective. And just, it's, it's at, a, we're at a phase speaking as a parent of young kids, I'm at a phase where everything is fun. Everything is new. Everything is exciting. Yeah. Yep. Just let it be. Yep. Yep. And with something that is creative and, uh, I think it's a way to grow your, your brain to learn with music. It's like, you want the kid to want to do it. Right. That's the point. You right. want them to be excited about it. You so you have to have I think you have to let them have a say in it. Right. Because they if you're like, no, you're playing the trombone because I want because I played the trombone or right. for whatever reason, that might not be where they're gonna shine or right. what they care about. And exactly. you have to let them decide that, I think. Yep. So my mom started me on piano, but then I think she realized I was moving my own way, you know, but mm -hmm. I appreciated that I got a starting point. Yeah. But I do think if you want your kids to play music, you definitely got to like have them be involved as well right. in, in the, the decision of it and, and how it plays out. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Travis, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I mean, just me personally, I guess you could follow me on Instagram. <laughs> I'm totally Travis on there. And then Piebald, which is why people know of me anyway. Uh, that is also on Instagram. It's just Piebald. We also have a Facebook for Piebald and there's a website. Um, but all those places, I think, have fairly similar information on them. Yeah. So I love it. Well, Travis, this has been an absolute delight. Thank you for uh, allowing the the college student in me to to enjoy this moment and and truly feel uh, part of. Uh, I did it again, but truly feel part of of this. And this has been amazing. So thank you so much, Travis. We appreciate yeah, you being on the show you're today. You're very welcome, Joe. Thanks, thanks, thanks for having me. No problem. You've been listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and here to play us out one last time is Piebald. Yeah. You're part of it!
This podcast is powered by Roberts Media Group, your resource for podcast development. For more programming and advertising opportunities, please visit us at robertsmediagroup.co.